and death. There are no accidents, no coincidences, no mishaps, and no escapes. What you have to realize is that we're all just a mouse that a cat has by the tail. Every single move we make, from the mundane to the monumental, the red light that we stop at or run, the people we have sex with or won't with us, the airplanes that we ride or walk out of. It's all part of death's sadistic design leading to the grave. Because in the end, no one can escape death. And today may be your day to die. Welcome to Now Playing's Final Destination Retrospective Series. Every survivor died in the precise order they were meant to die in the accident. So now does that mean we all die? In anticipation of the release of Final Destination 5, join Arnie, Brock, and Jacob each week as they watch and review another film in the Final Destination series. Great. I'm glad I canceled my golf game for this. Good. This podcast will contain spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Hope you have fun. Today we're talking about Final Destination 3, starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Brian Merriman. I know, I was going to say woohoo too, but I, I withheld it till later. Ah, Mary Elizabeth, welcome back to Now Playing. We love you. And we'll see you soon. Amanda Crew, Alex Johnson, <laughs> Crystal Lowe, Jesse Moss, and directed by James Wong. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. This is Jacob. And this is Arnie. And I won't be going on any roller coasters anytime soon. Guys, I think we should stop recording this podcast right now because I had a premonition that if we don't stop recording, we're going to die. That's funny because my digital camera started showing me images of you impaled with microphones. It's a magic (laughs) camera. (laughs) Well, we want to start off saying thank you to all of the donors out there because so many of you have donated to Now Playing and to help us stay on the air. We are thanking you with a special bonus series, this one here, Final Destination, in anticipation of Final Destination 5 3D, coming to theaters later this summer. Yes, it's Final Destination Friday, and then we'll be back on Totally Free Tuesday with our regular show. But this is just a bonus series to keep it going. So, Arnie, why don't we uh, start off this with a plot summary? Dude, are you serious? It's Final uh, Destination 3. If I, I mean, how much detail do you want me to go into on this? Um, Isn't this the one where they change all the rules? They give it a new spin? Maybe that's Final Destination 5. But right here, I think this will be a shorter than usual plot summary. Because if I just start going like this person died, that this person was a fake out death. It's going to be like the Bible. James begat Eric, who begat Joseph, who begat Jesus. Eric is not a biblical name. You're making this up as you're going along. <laughs> I am. I'm ad-libbing here. <laughs> All right. So how about you ad-lib a plot summary really quick? <laughs> okay. Very high level. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty much how I think the writer did it. Very high. <laughs> Wendy, played by Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, and her friends are at a high school senior graduation trip to a carnival, along with Wendy's bitchy tag-along sister, Julie. But before entering a ride on a roller coaster, Wendy has a vision that the roller coaster is going to crash. She freaks out, and the roller coaster does indeed crash, 
but she and several others who left the roller coaster are left alive, including Hilton twin wannabes Ashley and Ashlyn, skeevy old guy Frankie, and bodybuilder Lewis. Of course, if you've listened to our first two podcasts, you know Death's plan will not be diverted. And so one by one, they start to die. But here there's a twist. There's Wendy's magic camera in which the photos Wendy took that night show how each person is going to die. So not only are Wendy and fellow survivor Kevin trying to stop the deaths, but also trying to decipher the clues in the photos how they happen. And I think we'll go through it, but at the end, there's some fireworks. Wendy, her sister, and Kevin all live, only to five months later reunite unexpectedly in a New York subway train, which then crashes, killing them all. Yeah. So we're going to get into each of the deaths. I mean, at this point, I think that we know why we're here. We're here to have a good time and watch some fake-out deaths, right? It's like America's Funniest Home Videos with Gore. Yeah, and this is the third time around, and sometimes when you have threes, they are complete and other crap. We have talked about many times on previous Now Playings, but I was trying to think of other threes and other threes in series, and the ones that kept on popping to mind in comparison to this one are part of series we haven't reviewed yet that, well, it's the third one, so it kind of feels a little bit tired, but there are some surprises here and there, and basically we know we're in for when we come to see this one. We know what to expect. Whether or not they can deliver is something else. But I gotta disagree. I mean, every so often you've got that magic three, right? Dream Warriors is the first one that comes to mind. What's the second one, Arnie? Because X-Men 3? I don't want to bring up that debate again. <laughs> I wasn't on that podcast, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a stain on that. <laughs> Toy Story 3 comes to mind as a very good 3, but, you know, Return of the Jedi, that even feels tired at parts, you know what I mean? So, to keep the magic alive for a third one, they have to do something great. In the case of, say, Toy Story 3 or Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, we talked about how the formula really came together there. But really, most of the time, it kind of feels a little bit tired, but you go in there expecting to have the fun you had in the last one, if not the first. And this one is kind of hit or miss in that area, I guess, because, well, we'll talk about it as we go. But I kind of went into this one with that kind of mindset. I kind of went into this, I guess, not expecting a whole lot, but to have fun. I had fun with the first and the second one. You know, just keep the creativity coming up with these deaths and, and building that anticipation. I don't know. It seems like Final Destination, it's got a decent formula. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, because breaking it is, you know, people fall onto those impaled, broken spikes and die. And that's what we come to these movies for. And I have to say, I came in also really excited because while the first two aren't exactly ones that I will be watching regularly, I enjoyed them. They were cotton candy fun, you know? And so I had enjoyed the light fun of them and was really looking forward to number three when I came in. Although I have to say, the series has started to influence my life as everything I do, I now see this Rube Goldbergian way that it can cause a lawsuit against me. Like I was throwing out some boards with nails in them and the nails were above the rim of the garbage can and i'm like well when the garbage man comes what if he goes to reach in and it, and it spikes him in the face and they're gonna sue me so i actually stood outside <laughs> pulling all the nails out and throwing them in but then i'm like what if he reaches into the garbage can and it punctures his glove and he's going to sue me so thank you final destination for increasing my paranoia and neuroses exponentially Arnie, I could top that. I watched this movie for now playing the day after that. The wife and I went to Disneyland. You know, this is a movie about a roller coaster leading to death. Disneyland's full of them. And, and I got to say, it was a lot of fun because we're sitting there. She's been watching these with me. We're on a small world, which is a boat with little 
animated children singing the same song over and over and over. And we're like sitting there coming. I don't know what the people in the boat thought of us because we're sitting there coming up with the ways this could go horribly wrong <laughs> and kill us all. I mean, and that's what I like about these movies is, yes, they can either feed into your paranoia or you have fun with it. And like, you're like, OK, wait, don't do that. It might end up killing us or something. I don't know. It, it's been fun watching these movies and seeing how it affects everyday life around me. I did not expect that from these movies. I'm right there with you, folks. As I, as I mentioned in the first podcast with the airplane. But also, the third one, now we have James Wong, who's the original director, and Glenn Morgan is also back, one of the original writers. So what we all liked about the second one, we had new blood in there. They brought back some of the original people. Well, keep in mind, this is the third James Wong film that we are really reviewing because he and Glenn Morgan work together on the remake of Black Christmas with that one Glenn Morgan directing and James Wong producing. We didn't mention that the first time around, but <laughs> well, this also explains why Mary Elizabeth Weinstead was in Black Christmas. Also, the girl who played Margot Kidder's role in that movie also is in this movie. She was one of the girls in the tanning bed. The blonde slut or the brunette slut? Which one? The brunette one. But I was really happy to see Mary Elizabeth Winston because I forgot that she was in this. And as I mentioned on Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I'm a big fan of hers. I'm going to back you up. Her performance in Sky High and Scott Pilgrim are good enough for me to get me excited if I see her in a movie. Yep. Well, she's going to be in This Falls the Thing, so now playing isn't done with Mary Elizabeth yet. Woohoo! <laughs> but hopefully we're done with james wong but perhaps i'm <laughs> jumping ahead yeah so the movie opens and we're at the theme park and i don't know about you but i want a nail gun to go off in writer glenn morgan's head because i'm gonna die if they put another death pun in the opening dialogue i think they're going to have to arnie <laughs> getting a soda won't kill us whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger it was unsubtle and no one talks like that it was like the Narcissus line from Poltergeist 3. But they also have the hammer with the bell, the head flying off. They have the taunting gargoyle. They have a whole bunch of stuff giving everyone clues, but that wasn't enough. They had to have the premonition of the girl to really get the whole thing moving. They really littered this whole opening with this kind of stuff. They guess they thought they were being clever with it. It was a little heavy-handed, but, you know, it's a Final Destination movie. They did that in the opening credits for the first two movies, as we talked about, you know? Yes, but... Here, it seemed worse, and I think it's because of the leaden dialogue. I understand that you're going to get 30-year-olds to play high school students, and I accept that. I have ever since 90210. And I understand that this is now getting to be somebody who hasn't been in high school for a long time, writing dialogue <laughs> for a high schooler. And I understand that Glenn Morgan is not the most talented scribe in all of La La Land. But, I'm sorry, nobody talks like this. No control freak sits down and goes, I'm such a control freak that I can't take him. Control freaks don't call themselves control freaks. Nobody talks like this. The dialogue was killing me and making me hate every character and sitting there instantly going, Please die quicker. I gotta say, nothing about this opening scene made sense. You know, at first I thought they were like at a county fair or something, but, <laughs> and then they dropped a line about a fast pass. I'm like, wait, you got fast passes at a county fair? I'm like, okay, wait, no. This, I guess, is supposed to be like a Six Flags type theme park. Yeah. Wendy is going around taking pictures for the yearbook. You know, she's talked into taking pictures of some girls' whale tails because it will help sell yearbooks because that's what sells. Porn sells yearbooks, not, you know, people wanting to have those high school memories. It's the whale tale of the hot chicks in there. I, this whole opening scene just, 
I had no idea what was going on here. And more importantly, really, you could publish yearbook photos with that crappy point-and-shoot? Yes, thank you. This flash is going off. This, You know, it took me back to the aviator with the big flash bulbs going off. I'm like, wait, no, that's like a $50 digital camera. I have a crappy one like that. The flash ain't that good. Listen, it's the Panasonic DMC-FX8. I guarantee you there's a product placement there. But I doubt if it is up to publication quality. 5 megapixel is not print worthy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My problem with the yearbook photo angle was I thought it was late in the school year. And I thought yearbooks had to go to print like in February. I thought that thing was done. That's where I was going with the problem with the yearbook photos, but I missed all of what you're talking about. Yeah, I was just wondering, why aren't we on to the roller coaster yet? We know that's where this is going. Why are we spending so much time this world building in Final Destination 3? I don't need world building in this movie. Get to the damn roller coaster. <laughs> that is so I, true. I think because they decided to use the plot device of the camera that we had to get this scene. Yeah, I think that is the reason. But by the same token, they didn't need to elongate it with scenes of Frankie licking his mudflap girl necklace and... Wendy and her dead meat best friend talking about how they're control freak natures and she's going to break up with him. I mean, it's just one of those things where every line is there to set up something for later on, but none of it feels natural. None of it feels normal. Every line they say reminds me I'm watching a movie that's right off the gate, not very good. And I was feeling really bad for Mary Elizabeth Winstead at this point because I came in and I'm like, Ramona, you kind of suck too. (laughs) But my excitement goes back up as Tony Todd's dulcet tones mean the arrival of the roller coaster. And of course, Wendy has her vision of the roller coaster crash, always the spectacle in a Final Destination film. Obviously, I'm taking it at this point, we're all savvy enough to know this was a vision and not really happening. Yes, absolutely. But. I loved every second of the roller coaster crash. I thought it was really well done, and my mouth was like agape while I was watching it. I'll say this. You know, I grew up in Southern California next to Six Flags Magic Mountain, went there all the time as a kid, and this was a real fear. I remember the few times that roller coaster started going and those lap bars weren't locking, and of course they always stop it and check it first. But I could understand, like, this was even getting me a little bit nervous, giving me flashbacks of when I was like 12 and got those loops and all the corkscrew and all that. I gotta say, though, once they got into the roller coaster crashing, I was kind of let down. Like, you kind of see people flying out. I wanted to be more in your face, more gruesome. You know, it goes through the loop and you see people just falling to their deaths. I don't know. It was dark. It was at night. It didn't have the impact that I was hoping it would have. Really? I have to agree with Jacob. I'm Hmm. sitting here watching this and I also have this fear of heights and roller coasters. And I ride roller coasters despite having a fear of heights. And as you can... Imagine that is terror-inducing. So you would think that this would have a profound effect on me. But unfortunately, the green screen is so bad on here that I think they're at a drive-in, not at a roller coaster. And I'm just looking at this, and the deaths are not gruesome, and I'm not seeing anything happen. People are falling, but it's not horrific like when they were sucked out of the airplane in the first one. Mm -hmm. And by the same token, I had the thought, you know, in the first one, we had an airplane crash with a lot of deaths. In the second one, we had this huge, freaking monstrous car crash, which may be the best car crash scene I've ever seen in any film. Here, we're going to see, what, 
about seven people die on a roller coaster. I mean, there's not that much. And it's happening all so quick, and it is looking so bad. I enjoyed the mechanism. I enjoyed the tease. You get to see the hydraulic fluid leaking, and Frankie sneaks the camera on board and, you know, screams, show me your titties! You know, I like the setup for it, but the actual wreck itself made me go, wow. That was like the least impressive of three. And coming off the car crash of two, which mm-hmm. just was so enthralling, this, more people lived on this roller coaster than died. Well, this to me is something that goes through my mind every time I'm on a roller coaster. And so there's one part when one of the cars just flies off the track and we never see those people again. I would have liked, though, when the car went up and down, someone would have fallen out and the car get hit it and one of the cars fall off. Yeah, I would have liked that, but we've seen that before. I will give you both that it's not as gruesome. But I think the terror of being on an out-of-control roller coaster was very real to me. And whether or not it was done as good as the last one, I wasn't thinking about it at the time. I was watching this go down, and I was into this scene. I mean, part of my problem with this, we've talked about this with the last two films, is that there's some really good subversive humor, for lack of a better word, you know, with all these gruesome deaths, but it's this subversive, funny, exploitation-type humor in there. If you've been in any theme park in the last 15, 20 years, you know that all the major rides have cameras, and they take your picture while you're on the ride. I would have loved some scene where you see the camera going off, and it jumps to the (laughs) screens, and it's just, like, people falling to their deaths and impaled on the track. I mean... A headless person. That would be great. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You get to the third one. I'm not expecting any change to the formula. I get what the formula is now. Just do it more and bigger and and gruesomer and more subversive. That's what I want. And this one, it seemed almost like a step back to the first film where they're trying to play it a little bit more realistic, a little bit darker than the funnier side that I saw in two. I would agree with that because I think that this roller coaster scene really could be a great showcase for some humor like we saw in the last one where the guy was trisected with barbed wire. You could have some really inventive kills going on here, and you don't. I was just disappointed across the board at the way they went out. Yeah, but I don't remember the humor being in any of the big premonition death scenes. The humor comes afterwards in the deaths that happen after the big scene. In the first one, I'll agree. In the second one, I think the very first death of the log going through the guy's head, and you see the brain matter on the back of the log, that was slapstick. And you had all the humor building up to the guy doing coke with the cop next to him and the trucker drinking. I mean, there's all those little jokes going on building up to it. You want to go take a shit? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I have one other problem with this vision. So the way this happens is there's this mysterious leak on the hydraulics because death is around. And then Frankie brings out his camera. Ashley and Ashlyn slap it out of his hand. So it magically wraps around like a grappling hook to the tracks. And then hitting that plus the hydraulic fluid already having loosened the restraining bars causes the roller coaster to crash, right? Yep, I know where you're going, Arnie, because I got the same problem. So, Wendy comes out of this vision and goes, we gotta leave, we gotta leave, we gotta leave. Now, I got two problems with this. First of all, the people in the front are like, let us out, and this guy's like, nobody leaves! Okay, on a power trip much, you must ride this roller coaster. I think they'd let him out. But second... One of the people who leaves is Frankie, and he takes his camera. So the camera isn't on the roller coaster, so why did the roller coaster crash? Hmm. I don't know. It's in my notes. It's a problem for me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Mmm, plot holes. I, I guess we're supposed to believe that the hydraulics were so bad it was going to crash anyway. I don't, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not consistent. The other films, once you take the players out of the big catastrophe, they weren't the reason for those crashes or for the airplane blowing up. So here, you know, these are very simple rules to play by in these <laughs> films, and they're already <laughs> breaking them. Did you guys give it? crap at all about the fact that Wendy's boyfriend and Kevin's girlfriend were the ones who died and they, through some happenstance involving minors trying to sneak into the roller coaster and Wendy's sudden fear of roller coasters, they are the two who live and they're both pining for their lost love. They set that up so blatantly. I mean, I knew they were dead the moment we met them. The whole thing with the boyfriend calming Wendy down, I knew he was dead instantly. So no. Yeah, it was another setup that just didn't work for me at all in this movie and i don't know if i was supposed to feel some kind of burgeoning sexual tension between wendy and kevin as they try to stop the deaths together or not because it doesn't ever really go down that way they never have a romantic scene all they do is kind of mope around and talk about their dead loved ones so it's really joyless is how i would express it well, I'm just going to say this now with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She spends this entire film like just screaming and crying and freaking out. All the other characters in the other films, they more or less kept their composure. With her, she was just like a whole mess throughout this entire film. I don't know if that was the direction she was given or if she just didn't know how to act this role, but it had a darker tone than the other films with her just cowering and crying almost the entire time. And I'm on the same page as I loved her in Scott Pilgrim. I was in love with her as Ramona in Scott Pilgrim. And here I'm like, you just can't act with the emotions that you're needing to portray here. Maybe it is the direction, but in the scenes in the role where I saw her and I liked her, she wasn't trying to give this constant grief-ridden angst that she has to play here. She has a one-note character, and it's a sour note for her to try to pull. I can't disagree with you guys, but I think it's the writing and the directing, honestly, more than her. I kind of had a problem with the first film's lead, too. He kind of seemed like pretty bland to me as well. It just might be the burden of having that role in these movies that... They're not the most interesting character, but they're there just to have the movie keep moving forward. But yeah, she was pretty bland in this movie. The only characters I liked in this whole movie, the only ones, are the first two to die, Ashley and Ashlyn. Is that just because they showed you their titties? No, it is not for the titty shot. It's because I found them to be the only characters that were funny. I kind of came into this looking for a black comedy, and they were the only two who were legitimately funny. I love the scene where they walk up to Wendy and give her their phone number in case she needs to cry on their shoulder and then they walk away. That was so nice of us. I just loved their line delivery. Long before the titty shot, I'm like, these two who are totally uh, the Simple Life parody of Nicole and Paris, I am laughing at these two and enjoying seeing them on screen. And I know they're dead. And I just had to sigh that they were going to be the first to go because everybody else in this entire movie, joyless. If they were characters in two, it would have made sense here. And they kind of stick out because they are played more as just satire. I love, you know, they go to the tanning booth. I, they drop the line, something like, we need to like look our best for all those kids that died that night and we'll never get a graduation. <laughs> <laughs> I am from the Valley. I know how to speak like a Valley girl. I like that. Like, finally, uh, you know, after kind of this drab opening, I'm like, okay, finally we got to the fun part here. And again, like you guys have said, no other characters have fun with their roles. They're kind of stuck in this drab, 
dark, just icky, you know? That's not what I come to Final Destination for. I want to see the shallow parodies of whatever happens to be the hot thing in pop culture at the time. Yeah, these two were just great. And, of course, they die in the tanning booth and not of cancer. Okay, I like the beginning of this tanning booth scene, but I gotta tell you... Of course you do, there's the titty shot. (laughs) No, but I I, I gotta say that this is a 12-minute scene. The setup for this tanning booth scene took forever. And then when they were in the tanning booth dying, it took forever. From start to finish, I went back to time it. It was like 12 minutes long. I got really tired of the setup for the scene. I was screaming at the screen, Will you guys start to die already, please? (laughs) and from you, that's really something. Yeah, I could not believe it. I was like sitting there like, how long? They went back to Mary Elizabeth and her sister at the house. They went back to the tanning booth. They had this just a lotion in the door. They sat in the bed. They went through the music. I'm like, holy shit, will you just start to die already? And then they started to die, and they wouldn't stop dying. I was like, am I watching the extended cut? I could not believe. And so I got taken out of this movie a little bit because I couldn't believe. It's like the pod race in episode one. It keeps on going and going and going. It's like this is the showpiece they want to show everybody because this is the death that urban legends are made of and things like that. Listen, Ashlyn spent a lot of money on those titties and they wanted to show them off. Clearly she spent a lot of money on those titties. (laughs) You're right, Brock. They spent a lot of time on this death. The amount of titty shots. Like, I started getting uncomfortable, like, sitting there next to my wife watching this. I'm like, uh, let me look at my wife. Because these titties are just on screen forever. Like, I'm sorry. Maybe it's because I like the song Love Roller Coaster. I love that they played that. Like, I was laughing when they used that music. There were titties. There was Love Roller Coaster. It was a party. I was down with it. Yeah, I was kind of groaning every time they went back to Windy and Bitchy Julie. That's her name to me, by the way, is Bitchy Julie. Why? We'll, we'll get to Bitchy Julie. But anytime they were in the tanning, but it was hysterical because of all of the just dominoes that had to fall. They had to lock the tanning bed owner out, and she had to finish sucking down her Slurpee, and then they had to find the CDs, and every little piece had to fall in place so that they could burn up and i wondered how they would die in tanning beds i honestly thought it would be glass shards there is some sort of urban legend or something about that about people dying in tanning beds do you guys ever heard this one before the urban legend is actually that a woman went to a tanning bed too often before her wedding and the day before her wedding after tanning four days in a row she was found dead and her internal organs had all burnt up from the tanning bed there you go that is not true (laughs) (laughs) what was that true what I believe that. No, but I think, again, these deaths are supposed to be fun, and they linger so long on these two girls burning up in these tanning beds that it stops being fun. Mm -hmm. It almost becomes like torture. I feel like I'm back reviewing Saw movies now with them screaming and struggling as they burn alive in here. And the director did say on the commentary that was his whole point. The reason the titties were out there so long was to make you uncomfortable. And the reason that they died so slowly was to make you uncomfortable and to feel horrified. So, Jacob, for you, it had the intended effect. For me, I was kind of glad when they were finally burning up because I think right about that point, it had started to grate on me a little bit. The scene was going long. Now, in the tanning beds, they both catch fire, right? And they can't get out because the boards fell and trapped them down. Now, normally at the end of the show, I discuss the DVD special features, but actually here, I think I need to talk about the special feature as we go. Mm -hmm. It's choose your own adventure, isn't it? 
It is Choose Your Own Adventure. I remember them actually pimping this at Comic-Con. It's Choose the Fate. And as you go, you can choose things that happen. And I honestly thought from the phrase, choose your fate, that you'd get to pick if they live or die. In one case, you do. But in most cases, you're just picking the method of death. Oh. And so with Ashley and Ashlyn, you know, there's the scene where she's turning up the temperature in the room. You get to choose how high she turns it. And if you turn it to 73 degrees, you get the movie where they catch fire. If you turn it to 76, you get to another death and it gets hotter faster. And Ashlyn, the brunette without underwear, has enough time to escape her booth before the board traps them. And then she's hit on the head. She's knocked out. She finally gets up and tries to rescue Ashley, and as she reaches in for Ashley, then they both get electrocuted and die. So I could have sped this scene up by using the special features? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Actually, it goes on a bit longer, because instead of oh, okay. just the flames, <laughs> oh. now there's the writhing naked on the floor, and then getting in and getting electrocuted. Now, in all of these cases, the deaths were screened for audiences, and the better death, according to test audiences, was the theatrical one, and the other one is the cutscene death in this case i'd say it's a tie you know on the one hand the fire death is a little bit more gruesome because it's fire and it's just immolation which is kind of cool on the other hand the electrocution has really bad cgi but a lot more not blue nudity so you know if you were made uncomfortable by the death jacob you probably prefer immolation for me it's it's a toss-up as to which one was better so during that whole thing they go back and forth to wendy and right after this scene, they start giving us the explanation about when she looks through the pictures, how the pictures foreshadow how people are going to die. So not only does she get the premonition, she has a hard copy <laughs> of premonitions that she can figure out. It's so handy when fate gives you a Xerox. <laughs> but also, they kind of pepper in some interesting stuff. They pepper in the shadow of an airplane against the World Trade Center Tower and... Abraham Lincoln. I did look up the Lincoln shot, and that is somewhat true. That shot is real, and it is the result of cracked glass on the photo plate, and it is nearly the spot where he got shot. However, it is not the last photo of Lincoln taken. It was taken a few months before his death. So that, that might be the idea that Glenn read before he wrote this movie and thought, I'm going to incorporate that into the movie. Or they just searched evil camera on Google and see what they come up with. I don't know. <laughs> evil camera. <laughs> when you think evil camera, think the Panasonic DMC FX8. Five megapixels of death. That's a horror series unto itself. When the cameras actually steal your souls, it'll be great. I'm sure there's some J-horror coming about that. They've done the cell phone. They've done the internet. Maybe the digital camera of doom. <laughs> Although that is like a real folktale, like uh, or aborigines yeah. and stuff being yeah. scared of cameras because they thought it'd steal their souls. So there you go; it's more than enough to make them horror series out of, isn't it? Well, could either of you make heads or tails of the nine eleven photo? Because I've Googled and used every resource to my imagining. I can find nothing if that photo is real or when it was taken. I mean, I know people from New York who say, yeah, before 9-11, planes flew there all the time. And you'd see shadows of airplanes on the buildings pretty constantly. Death was giving you guys a lot of warnings about 9-11, <laughs> apparently. I, I just assumed, like, I was confused because I thought it was a picture someone took right before 9-11. I'm like, well, of course there's going to be an airplane <laughs> shadow on the building. An airplane crashed into it. I just thought it was kind of tasteless. You know, yeah. this came out... 
what, yeah. 2006, just five years after 9-11? I don't think 9-11 is ripe yet for comedy or horror or exploitation. We still get uncomfortable when people do that with the Holocaust, and that was much longer ago. So I just got uncomfortable. You know, I could go with the death of Abraham Lincoln, fine. We could make a joke about him getting assassinated. 9-11, I'm not ready to go there yet. I kind of agree. I think the 9-11 stuff for this movie was bad taste. In a better movie, it might not be bad taste. But here, it's like, all my friends are dying on a roller coaster. It's just like 9-11. Yeah, I didn't take it as a joke. I thought they were trying to make that correlation. And I was like, that's completely inappropriate. I agree with you completely, Arnie. I think for this movie, it's inappropriate. But I didn't think it was a joke. Yeah, I don't think this film had jokes, other than Ashley and Ashlyn, which were more, you know, satire again of, I think, Paris and Nicole. This film is dour. It is not jokey. There are a couple bleak moments of humor, mostly provided by Frankie, but I don't think that this film intends to be funny, whereas I think the last one was very funny intentionally, and the first one had its moments of humor, like tetanus. I didn't see it coming. This one (laughs) doesn't have anything like that. It's never trying to wink at you, I don't think, and that's disappointing because it's a break from the formula in a bad way. And is there a reason for it, Arnie? You're the horror guy. Was there some big influential horror movie that came out around this time where they would want to change the tone of these? I mean, the first two worked. Why change the formula now? You said it already, Jacob. Saw came out in 2004, didn't it? The first one? This is the first one that came out since Saw and Saw 2 came out in the theater. Am I wrong about that? Well, no, you're not wrong. They could be going after Saw and the Saw audience, but it's not like jokey comedy was dead yet. I mean, Black Christmas attempts to be very funny, and that came out a little bit after this one, and from the same people, Mm -hmm. no less. I think it's because these two guys have their roots in the X-Files from the TV series, and the X-Files had its funny episodes, like the one where Peter Boyle was, like, seeing how people would die was kind of an amusing one, and then you'd get, like, the fluke monster, which is trying to be very scary. I think that They like to vary the tone up, and because they're used to working in episodic fiction, they decided to try to go more serious here. I don't think it was necessarily the influence of Saw. I don't think it was necessarily their own stylistic choice. I think it was just how this one ended up. I wish I could say that they had a design and a plan. But I don't think they did. They just went into this one the same one as the last one. The other thing is, I think, maybe... I've said it before, I'll say it again, I don't think Glenn Morgan's a very good writer. The first film had three different writers on it, and I think maybe the others were the ones you'd want to hang out with, not Glenn. (laughs) In the previous two films, we'd had our psychic characters, and we've complained in both of them that it's kind of nebulous, right? In the first one, you know, there was the psychic and the empath, and the second one is like, everybody's psychic if they try. Here, (laughs) Wendy is psychic, but... It's really this magic camera. She doesn't have psychic again. They've introduced this whole new plot device of the magic camera. I hated it. Did it work for either of you? No. (laughs) No, it's stupid. I don't know. I guess they wanted to come up, you know, like you said, in the last film, everyone was kind of psychic and they could read the shadows and they wanted to do something, but it's dumb. And we'll find out why in a second with Frankie's death, why I think it's dumb, but it doesn't work for me. I also have a big example at the end of the movie why it's dumb, but I really think this is an idea they came up with that just never worked for me. Sometimes we talk about how if the movie gives you something to make the plot work 
We're more than willing to try it out as long as they play within the rules, yada, yada. We've had this conversation many times before on these podcasts. This is one I could not go along with from the start. It's maybe because they threw in the 9-11 thing right there when they started explaining how it worked and all that, and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, or whatever the reason was, I just didn't buy it. Furthermore, when they go on throughout the movie, they're wrong (laughs) when they look at these photos. So it doesn't really help them at all. And so it's a plot device I don't think they really needed. Let me articulate my problems with it. First of all, it is unclear. And I understand in these whole Final Destination series, part of it is what will kill them? How will they die, right? And you're trying to figure that out. So that you couldn't be too clear, but it's almost to the point where the pictures are coincidence and you can see whatever you want to see in them. The second thing that bothers me is it's never explained why the pictures are telling this. Is it that Wendy was so psychic she was accidentally taking these photos and composing them subliminally based upon a psychic vision of how they die? Or was it the camera themselves? I honestly would have preferred it if we had this Hellraiser-like scene where somebody comes up to Wendy and looks all, like, Jesus-y and scuzzy, you know, like the homeless guy in Hellraiser, and goes, this camera was always yours for yearbook. And now we know she has a cursed camera. You know, something to explain it. If Tony Todd showed up and went, you lost your camera, then I'd go with it. But it just so happens to be her Panasonic DMC FX8 that she just bought at Best Buy. I don't get it. Panasonic has given no money to now playing, by the way. I'm hoping they will for me advertising (laughs) their eight-year-old model camera. (laughs) You keep calling it an evil camera, Arnie. They will not. (laughs) One of the things about these films is that Death has a plan and somehow someone or something is giving visions to these characters so they could subvert Death's plan. So I guess I'm hoping the camera was still going to tie into that. Who is giving the visions? Why are these people having visions? Now, I, I, I don't know. Is this God? He's got to step up his game by using the camera. That's so powerful <laughs> now. He's got to use weapons to subvert his plan. I don't know. Again, it wasn't a problem so much at first when they explained it, except the whole 9-11 thing bugged me. It's when we get into the use of the pictures and how arbitrary it is and how they don't always work. That's what really bugged me. I'm just laughing because you say God's using the camera. So the Panasonic DMC FX8, the savior's point and shoot of choice. I don't know. They they haven't explained anything to me. I, I'm only assuming it's God. I don't know if he likes Panasonics. <laughs> <laughs> I have a good authority. He's a Sony man, but, you know, we could have that conversation some other time. Yeah, I just think this was adding nothing to it. And they had enough time trying to figure out. This is what really bugs me is in some cases, they can't tell who's in the photo. Wendy can't remember the order in which they died on the roller coaster. And they don't know what's killing them in the photo. It seems like the photo actually made things more difficult on them. Yeah, they could have just all huddled together and been careful of their surroundings instead of all being separate and staring at a photo for an hour trying to figure out what's going to happen while the person dies. Well, as they're looking at these photos, they get a little hungry and decide to go to a drive-thru. (laughs) Before Frankie dies here, going way back to the beginning of this film, when Wendy's freaking out about getting on the roller coaster, there's this whole issue with control, and she's got to take control of the fear or something like that. If you pay attention to this drive-through scene, the words on the little electronic menu start flashing, and it highlights the word control. And then it does these kind of bird's-eye-view shots where you see order from the drive-through. 
So, you know, we had the mystery of what is new life in the second film. So at this point, I'm thinking, okay, she's going to have to either be in control of something or lose control, give up her fear, something. It totally gets dropped. It never comes back. (laughs) I I just thought it was weird that they highlighted it in this scene, and then it just totally goes away. That's Glenn Morgan screenwriting for you. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. We needed a second and third writer to pick up that strand, I guess. I hate picking on this guy because it's not like he has an entire oeuvre of films that I can cite as his poor writing. But man, this one's just shitty. So we get to Frankie's death, and they're looking at one picture, thinking it's going to go down one way, I guess, with camel toe or something. He's going to get stampeded by camels. I'm not sure what they were thinking with that picture. (laughs) A hunchback, maybe. Imagine if it had the whale tail. He died SeaWorld. (laughs) Shamu drops out of the sky. But no, they were looking at the wrong picture, which here's the problem for me. There is a second picture of Frankie with a fan, I guess, next to his head. And you get this whole car accident where motor shoots out and the fan grinds into his head. Isn't that supposed to be like the twist at the end that there's multiple pictures and they've been paying attention to the wrong pictures? Here, I guess we're going to Glenn Morgan's bad writing. They they don't even follow the rules of movie logic here. They say the pictures are all screwed up right at the beginning. I like, there's no reason to trust what they're looking at right at the beginning because of Frankie's death. I had the same problem. I said, the wrong picture? Really? And then I don't think that comes up again for the rest of the movie, right? They don't have the wrong picture again. Never. So... No, she just took one picture of everyone else that survived the roller coaster, I guess. But Frankie, the douchebag, who doesn't even go to the school, gets two. This makes no sense. Let's <laughs> just maybe move on. <laughs> so, so Frankie gets an engine in the back of the head. I'll give it cool points for gore. Again, though, it's just gore. There's not the shock of the airbag scene from the second film. It's just gore. You're right. You're right. This is a problem. And the fact that we don't know it's Frankie at first. Right. They kind of go with a little bit of a fake-out, like we were talking about how the best deaths in these movies have a fake-out element. They kind of go with it because we think our two people that we're following are the ones in danger here, and in the end, it's somebody else, but it would have been better if they told us more about who was in the front of the car, etc. So I kind of thought it was a, a cheat, almost. It was a disappointing scene all around for me. Well, as I mentioned, there's an alternate take of this. And in the alternate take, Wendy honks again after Frankie flips her off, And she jumps out of the front of the car and pulls Frankie to safety. And Frankie lives. Frankie does not die. Really? Really. He lives? He lives throughout the whole movie. Like, he doesn't die at all by the end. He doesn't die at all. But he's the douchebag. I know. (laughs) He's supposed to die. Yeah. And it's worse. He even, as he survives, is getting loaded onto an ambulance for whiplash threatening to sue them for pulling him out of the vehicle. So, like, Artie, you were saying that these were two alternate scenes and the test audience got to vote. So that was, like, a real thing they were considering keeping in this film? I don't think so. But this does change the rest of the film, and it's perhaps the worst of the bonus features that we're going to discuss. Later in the movie, there's a scene where they're just talking in a park again, Wendy and Kevin. But in the background of this alternate scene, you see Frankie getting taken in by police into a police station, screaming to Kevin to call a lawyer how he was entrapped about taking videos of underage girls. So they let the pedophile live. That's great. And then, oh, it gets worse. It then pops up with another heads or tails choice to ask you, was Frankie worth saving? 
And if you say yes, you are treated to something that only the actor who played Frankie enjoyed. A 10-minute bonus feature of Frankie's video camera footage, all narrated by Frankie. Do you get to see the naked underage girls? You get to see things like he's hiding in an elevator or sneaking the camera in an elevator and shooting up women's skirts. And he's doing, like, down the blouse shots from a telephoto lens at Starbucks. But then you get, like, this Blair Witch-type scene where the actor is quite clearly ad-libbing that, How could I be like this when all those people died and all I care about is titties and why am I wearing this stupid necklace? Who am I? It's like this character trying to go through this acting exercise to find the character of Frankie. (laughs) Then we get several minutes of Frankie using his camera for good and like photographing squirrels. And how is that good? That's not feeding starving children. And it's the actor ad living while chasing a squirrel. Round and round, little squirrel, I'll get you. Oh, I'm oh, so boy. glad I didn't check out those features. I was tempted to. <laughs> I didn't want to sit through this a second time, though. It, when I saw this one was nine minutes, I knew it would be hard. But in the end, <laughs> the dark side consumes him again as he can't resist taping girls' titties. And he gets entrapped by a police officer at a Starbucks who, like, offers to model nude for him and then arrests him for underage solicitation or something. It's all very unclear, but it's ten minutes of Frankie. Death is better. What? Or should I add new context to his death? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it saved me from being even more pissed off at this movie (laughs) by killing him off so soon. Killing him with an engine, then, how does that tie into his liking underage girls? That has nothing to do with anything. Well, no, neither does falling off a roller coaster. It's just the fact that he had a picture taken in front of an oscillating fan. fan. Yeah, yeah. Because it was hot out. In Toronto. At night. But, like, with the next death, though, the guy at the gym, he gets killed by weights because he's a weightlifter football player, he's a weightlifter. He gets killed by that. Okay, but, I mean, later on, the goth girl gets nails in the head. I mean, she wasn't really into body piercing that we know of. Okay. It's all very arbitrary, but yes, we get Lewis. Well, I like this scene a lot because this is the one we talk about. It kind of teased us with the swords a bit, and then at the end of it, when he gets killed by the weights, it's kind of like the bus hitting the girl, quick shock death. So I kind of liked this whole scene that everyone was paranoid about what's going to happen, and we all thought it was going to be the swords. We're like, oh, really, the swords? They're going to be sharp enough to kill him, really? They're sharp enough to cut the wires for the barbells. Those are not easy to cut through. Agreed. So it's just (laughs) as bad. Like, by this point, I was more annoyed by this scene, you know? I'm like, okay, yes, I want to see the taxidermy bear fall on him and, I don't know, bite his head (laughs) off or something. Like... I'm like, just get on with it. We know something's going to kill him. Like, in the other films, the anticipation was fun. Here, where's the anticipation when there's just a bunch of sharp objects around you? Like, there's not a lot of creativity there for me. Well, it's which one. Right. But I guess with Ashley and Ashlyn's death, are they going to get electrocuted? Are they going to get burned up? Or, you know, there's all these different cues of what could happen. Here, I was losing interest by this point because this film, it just wasn't as fun as the other ones. I can't agree more, Jacob. I had no interest in this film at this point. It was terrible. And I don't like any of these characters as the worst part. I'm not clicking with any of them. In the last ones, I'd always find some characters who I'd enjoy watching on screen and characters who their personality was fun. Cat in the last one. And here, 
this weight guy, yeah, he was strong. He knocked the bell off the weight test at the beginning, and now he's training to be a pro footballer. It doesn't really have anything. There's nobody in this movie I'm liking. Again, I like this one and what they were doing here. I was enjoying this scene, but I'm in the same ballpark with you guys on how the film's affecting me and the whole thing. But next scene is where I lost the interest. Now, for the alternate death for Lewis... I think, Jacob, you and I would like the alternate death more. They just walk into the gym and go, Lewis, and he goes, what you doing here? And then he is killed immediately by the weights. <laughs> yeah, see, that I would have liked because, again, all the films, it's about building anticipation, but they always have one or two of those real quick deaths. And so I could have gone with that. Yeah, it's just like the bus from part one. Much yeah. better. I say the winner is the alternate cut here. I didn't need all of the stuff about them chanting for their football team and the swords falling. I like that they just walk in and then the barbells crush and Kevin and Wendy are splattered with brain matter. That was my favorite. But by this time also, though, wherever these two go to try to stop death, death occurs. So they should stay home? Basically, it's like Jessica Fletcher. Everywhere she went on she wrote, someone died. So stay home, Jessica. Don't move out of the house. So that kind of was weird to me, that they always happened to be there for the death, except for the tanning bed. Well, they're going to the people who are about to die in order of the death. They have to keep trying, right? If they went there and nobody died, A, we'd be watching a much more boring film, if possible. And second, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't give them any motivation to continue, right? I mean, here they're like, oh, we almost got that one. Maybe we'll do better next time. <laughs> well, A-plus for tenacity, but they still witness all the deaths, so they're bringing death with them. I mean, keep in mind, she's a control freak. She told you she's a control freak. She's going to control death. <laughs> and Death 5 hardware store, and this is a freak out. Now, I'm going to say this, though. I like the character of Ian, because finally, we have someone turning against the psychic. <laughs> We have finally somebody who's saying, why don't you die and break the chain and like going evil? I thought that was kind of overdue, really. I would have seen that coming perhaps in one of the earlier films, like in the very first one where we had the animosity between the two guys. I would have liked mm -hmm. to have seen that animosity ramped up rather than we're all buddy buddy in Paris at the end. Here we get that Ian wants Wendy to die so that he is safe. Were they trying to explain the whole new life, you got to commit suicide thing from the second film? Because Ian says something, well, maybe if you die, well, there's no way for death to kill us in the order he was supposed to kill us. So he'll just stop. And so I like, okay, maybe that's what they were trying to get out with in the second film. So I kind of liked that exchange there because that ending made no sense in the second film. But I think that we were shown in the second one, weren't we, that if it's not your time, you can't commit suicide, you're basically immortal no matter what you try because that guy tried shooting himself in the head six times and the bullets wouldn't go so if wendy tried to kill herself she couldn't right and also i think death wants to have a hand in it you can't control it it's death's design god damn it right well except at the end of the second film where she does commit suicide but she doesn't succeed well, she dies, and they bring her back. They That's bring true. back the new life. All right, so, then. <laughs> <laughs> what of these films are breaking the rules? The rules don't make sense anyways. I guess death should have made the ambulance float. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, that ending made no sense to me, so I, like, you know, someone was coming up with a creative solution here besides, hey, let's look at the pictures and guess the wrong death every time. I just like the animosity, because... Honestly, if it becomes kill or be killed, live or die situation, you'd think that, you know, we've had how many deaths at this point? Somebody should go this way. Somebody should be Machiavellian enough to go, why don't you die instead of me? 
I never liked you anyway. But we think Ian's going to die. Wendy saves Ian, so Aaron bites it, and that's the big misdirect here. Yeah, but we've always seen someone get pulled out of the way at the last second, and it goes to the next person, so... Not too much of a misdirect, especially when you're letting high school kids use forklifts and nail guns. I don't know about the OSHA laws in Canada, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, come on. After hours, the whole thing is reek. These two people work at a Home Depot kind of store? Didn't buy that. Spencer's Gifts, maybe. You can get a lava lamp to the head, maybe. But I just didn't buy these two work at that store at all. I frankly didn't care about this whole scene, basically. I really didn't. Now, on the DVD, there was an alternate take that was only slightly different. Aaron still dies with nail guns to the head. But the choice you make is, does Ian kill the pigeon with the nail gun or just wing him? If you let the pigeon live, the pigeon knocks Aaron into the nail gun. And if you kill the pigeon, then the falling board knocks Aaron into the nail gun. Well, that's a real damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. You know, where's the incentive to be nice to animals there? It's your girlfriend's still going to die. Yeah, I'd say that the DVD is the winner just by a hair. They both suck. But at least the <laughs> the DVD seems to make the killing of pigeons okay. So I'm anti-cruelty. Well, okay, but also, if he doesn't kill the pigeon, and the pigeon kills his girlfriend, he can blame himself. Like the Uncle Ben scenario from Spider-Man, you know, if I just stopped the robber, Uncle Ben would live. Well, he could blame himself with the guilt. Guess what? We never get that scene. If they played that scene out, if there was a bonus scene of him sitting around going, if I'd only kill the pigeon, then there might have been some campy humor that I would have enjoyed, but we didn't get that. Yes. And then his motivation for wanting to kill her at the end would be stronger. It would have worked great. But now that Aaron's dead, you know, death keeps continuing and Ian gets a reprieve, but Wendy doesn't know who's next, because who could that be in that photograph? Yes, the mysterious person. That's obviously bitch Julie. Yes. Come on, lady. Your sister was at the fair. And she wasn't supposed to be. Now, in this whole fucking movie, there's no one I want dead more than bitch Julie. I'm tired (laughs) of that snotty face that she makes when she gives the double finger. That actress... I just didn't care enough about anyone in this movie to actually have that much passion about whether they did him or die. Honestly. I thought the actress who played Julie looked older than Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and she's supposed to play a younger sister, right? And that kind of confused me, why they cast someone who looked older. Doesn't she deserve to die, though? I mean, she's nothing but a raging cunt this whole movie. (laughs) Tell me how you really feel, Arnie. You know, it, it all got set up with that grandma's charm bracelet. You know, as soon as you knew she was willing to just snag that and take it away and not let Wendy mourn with it. You knew she was bad. I guess this is supposed to be the character arc that she and her sister come together and bitch Julie stops being a bitch, but I don't see it. I think in a horror movie there are certain rules that if you are nasty for no apparent reason, you deserve to die. And Julie was nasty and unpleasant, and God, that ugly face, I just wanted her dead. But no, they come in at the last minute and save her. God damn it. So her friend dies, perhaps one of the best deaths, sliding down the flagpole. Agreed. Well, I got a problem with Julie's save, because they have to save her basically twice. Like, they push her out of the way of the horse, but then she still gets snagged by the rope and gets dragged. So, again, 
not playing by the rules. We've seen people where they just needed to get pushed out of the way. It happened to the farmer's son in the second one. You push him out of the way, that was the save. It's not, you gotta push him out of the way and save him again. It was Julia, did she have a doppelganger where there are two of her <laughs> split personality on the roller coaster where they're gonna try to kill her twice? Like, I don't know. That bugged me. Play by the rules. I completely agree. I noted that myself. And all I put in my notes at this point is this movie is full of fail. <laughs> I did like the flagpole death though. You're right. I think that was a uh, kind of out of the blue kind of thing. I like that. I like the horse kicking Kevin. I like the shish kebab fire. I like McKinley turning evil here. The movie starts to pick up around this point at the festival, the bicentennial or whatever it is. It was the tricentennial. Ah. So that means McKinley was 1706. If you do the math, it doesn't make any sense. You know, the only time I laugh besides the Ashley and Ashlyn scene, there's this, you know, one of them goes, fuck you, Ben Franklin. I'm like, <laughs> he's not that old like your timeline doesn't work here <laughs> maybe this movie takes place in the future <laughs> <laughs> so I guess here's another twist is that someone's gonna die due to murder from Ian and you know what I kind of like that that it wasn't this big matrix of weird gadgets falling all around it's just gonna be straight up murder what did you guys think of that twist or that plot development? I wish it had been more murderous because he's basically standing around and Wendy's like, I was wearing a McKinley shirt. You're going to cause my death. But if he'd been honestly attempting to kill her, preferably with a method that involves physical contact, like a knife or something, I don't want Ian standing back with a gun. I want him to try to kill like in a horror film, Wendy. But no, he just kind of stands back there and is like, ha ha, you will die and I will watch by standing here. <laughs> I didn't get that. Like, how did they save Wendy from being killed by Ian here? Like some fireworks go off and they duck? I don't understand how this works. It doesn't make any sense. I don't either. Why did Ian die instead of Wendy? I think Wendy was looking at a photo and at the last minute saw her own death. But that never happened before in these movies. If you could see your own death, then you wouldn't die, right? It's a head-scratcher. Yeah, I didn't get it. And the bitchy sister's still alive. I'm confused. Well, I did like when Ian got hit by the crane and his body split apart. His arm was twitching on the ground. Yes, I did like that, that he's still kind of alive when he's cut in half. Took me back to that barbed wire death in the second film. I thought he was trying to give Wendy the finger in death. That's how I took it. <laughs> Which would have been funny <laughs> if they actually pulled that off. I would have laughed. Now, of course, Ian has an alternate death. It's basically the same, but without that wonderful twitching that we liked. But it's the original ending. The three survivors, Kevin, Bitch, Julie, and Wendy, then throw the camera on the ground, say we're done with this, and walk off screen, and credits roll. Hmm. Yeah, at least that movie would have ended sooner. That would have been the plus. <laughs> the minus would be, of course, after the previous movies, don't we know, death's just rolling around again. But test audiences didn't like that ending, so we go five months in the future, which is a contrivance I hate, but we keep doing it in Final Destination, so I guess I gotta give it to them, right? And we know there's danger, because they're on Subway 180. Yes, yeah, Subway 180. <laughs> Cat, I did like the call back to that, I, I'm honestly. I also like the announcer, again, as it was Tony Todd, uh, said, end of the line. I thought I liked that because it's completely what they say on a subway. But they didn't say it was New York City, but they completely implied it was. There is no Booth Street in New York City. 
the advertisements were not real for America. Clearly gave away it was shot in Canada. To me, it looked like a Canadian candy bar, but I could be wrong about that. But here's what gets me about this whole thing about it was if it's a New York subway, Tony Todd's voice comes out clear <laughs> as a bell. And if you've ever been on a subway train, it sounds like this. <laughs> it does not sound that way. But here we get another vision. The subway crash. Got me. According to the director's commentary, this was tacked on at the end at the last minute because the test audiences hated the walking away from the camera ending. This seems pretty well done and expensive for something to be tacked on. I mean, I hate to call the director's commentary a liar, but this really seems like an expensive last minute reshoot. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like something that was tacked on. I mean, it's well choreographed. I mean, as far as this movie goes with the accident, you know. And in fact, I, when I first was watching this, went, well, no wonder the roller coaster sucked so bad. They only spent half the budget on it so they could save the other half for this. (laughs) During the course of the scene, I was like, I thought this was going to be another vision death. Oh, I guess it wasn't. Oh, it is. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, why are we having another vision here? I don't like that. I did like the fact that all three die at the end, but I didn't like how they, the whole scene played out. I would have liked it if she pulled out the Panasonic DMC FX9, having upgraded to the six megapixel version in the <laughs> five months. <laughs> You know, I missed the punchline ending. The last two films, the endings are, you know, these dark jokes where the uh, one more person gets killed at the end. Here, it got me because I didn't expect they do a whole nother vision. We're at the end of the film. We just need to see one person die, hoping it was Julie. In a way, it was. But again, going with that darker, grimmer tone in this film, it's just, no, we're just going to kill everyone in an elaborate subway crash. But I do like they all died. I agree with you. I wish it would have been a little more fun. But I do like that all three do get it. So there's no lingering, like, newspaper articles in the next one <laughs> that one of them died from some, you know. Did, did you know call. about the newspaper article in this one, Brock? Because in the DVD bonus features, you actually get to zoom in during the subway scene to a newspaper that tells you how the survivors of the last one died. Ding, ding! All right! No, I didn't know that. was going on the brick fell on the guy from the first one. No, here... There's like, during the choose your fate thing, it says, do you want to read the newspaper that's flying around the subway? And it talks about how Kimberly Corman and Officer Thomas Burke died. They ran into each other at Goldstein's Hardware and a Camaro railed down a hill crashing into the front of the building. They ran out the back into a malfunctioning wood chipper. That's a better oh. hardware scene death than the one we got in this film. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> And the wood chipper was owned by Roger Gibbons, who was the father of Brian, who blew up on the grill. Uh Aha, it all ties together. No, I was going on the death by brick that we read about in the second movie. Uh, I thought you might have actually hit that bonus feature, because, yep, they tell us about the last one. But here, we don't see them die, though. We see the vision of how they're going to die, and then it comes Mm -hmm. back, and she's like, we got to get off, we got to get off. And they don't, so... Does her vision stop them from dying or not? We don't know, do we? No, because we still don't know who's given the visions. I got the impression they did die because she tried to pull the stop lever and it didn't work. So the last look she gives us of, you know, she knows she's going to die. That's the impression I got. Yeah, we don't know who's giving these visions. Is it someone trying to help them? Is it just death screwing with their heads? Who knows? We don't know. So I just assume they died. 
I, I realize that at this point we're all agreed this movie sucks, so perhaps I should stop <laughs> analyzing. But what's the fucking point of having a vision of death and then not making it just be them dying? It's not even a punchline. It's like, we're going to show you them dying, and then we're going to tell you they're going to die again. That just becomes this endless loop of snuff. Yeah, there's no monster hunting them down that's trying to get revenge because of what their parents did or anything like that. It's just... People trying to outrun death, and they're eventually just going to die. These films lack purpose, and it didn't bug me as much with 1 and 2 because they were fun. And they're being played as satire. I think I said they felt like they were live-action, you know, Looney Tune movies. Mm-hmm. Here, you re- remove that satire, you remove that dark humor... It's mm-hmm. just watching people die with no purpose around it. It's just a frustrating fake out for no reason that I can discern. So, Jacob, Artie, <laughs> do you recommend Final Destination 3? Jacob? I think that, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, it's pretty much a snapshot from your Panasonic <laughs> 5 megapixel where this is going. You know, it's not as cryptic as the pictures were in the film. The DFC FX8? <laughs> yes, all that. No, I don't recommend Final Destination 3, and it hurts me. Like, I was surprised how much I enjoyed the first two films, and to see the shift of tone that they took in this third one, it doesn't work for me. I wanted the fun and the gore, and this one just gives me the gore, and as I said, there's no purpose behind it. It's just to watch people die in different gory ways. It's not fun. I've said this before. I said this with Rambo, that if I'm going to watch a bunch of people die, I want to have fun doing it during a movie. And this film doesn't do it. Not recommended. Arnie? Well, because I've had to sit through this movie three times and all these bonus features, Brock, choose the fate of Final Destination 3. Heads (laughs) or tails? I'm going to say tails. Then I will not recommend Final Destination (laughs) 3. And I'm going to go to the special podcast features on this podcast and go, just for the fun of it, to heads just for a quick moment to see what you would say. Well, much like the DVD, I'll still not recommend the movie, but for totally (laughs) different reasons. (laughs) All right, knock us out. (laughs) I'm right with Jacob in that what I liked about the last two was how much fun they were. And here, if you're going to divert and give us something totally different, There has to be a reason for it. I don't need all of my horror films to be fun. I can like Saw, and I can like Scream, and I can like Final Destination, and they're all different levels of horror and different levels of comedy. But here, this abrupt change in theme and tone from the past two is very jarring, especially when, like for these retrospective series, we're watching them so close to each other. If I'd watched them three years apart, It might not have been that bad. But the other part is, what's left when you remove the humor is nothing. Characters as shallow as a puddle after a spring drizzle. And acting that I could see better in a second grade school production. Writing that a semi-suicidal, depressed college student could write. (laughs) This film sucks. And even the special effects and the deaths are or especially the roller coaster scene. I'd like to be able to say that this movie's a roller coaster ride with the dips and thrills and you never know what's coming next, but instead, to take it all the way back to the beginning, it's a small script after all, and I want off. Not recommend. Well, you know, while I was watching this movie, something occurred to me that I'm not sure if you guys have expressed clearly yet, and I want to read from my notes directly. This one, not as satisfying or fun as the last two. So, yeah. (laughs) 
I think we all are on the same page here. I was pretty disappointed with this one. I didn't dislike it as much as you two disliked it, but I did dislike it, so let's be very clear. It's a shame. And remember I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast that, you know, what kind of threes are you going to get? This is a disappointing three. It's not as disappointing as other threes I've seen, but it certainly is square in the, this one is feeling tired, they're out of good ideas, and it just really has no inspiration for this one to be made. So, a clear in a way, not recommend. So where does that leave us, Arnie? Final Destination 4? No, no, the Final Destination. Uh It leads us right back to the beginning, because the only difference between this title and the first title is a direct article. This next one's going to be in 3D, though, so that's something. Maybe it could be in-your-face good. See, why wouldn't you call it then the Final 3 Destination? (laughs) Whoa, that's deep. So we will be back to discuss the Final Destination in our next podcast, but... Before that comes out, we have a new series starting on Tuesday. Fright Night! (laughs) Yes, Fright Night starting on Tuesday, and we're going to do that duology leading up to the remake starting Colin Farrell coming out. You mean not Colin Firth? That's a totally different movie. And that one, The Vampire Stutters? We'll see you soon. for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Well, that went well. Remember to come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Final Destination film. I was meant to see this movie. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other films, such as Saw, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Terminator, Star Trek, and many more, as well as individual movie reviews such as Man-Thing, Inception, and The Human Centipede. This is the beginning of the end. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss our movie reviews with other listeners. Hey, don't knock my fan base. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post mini-movie reviews. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Don't worry. Once the others are dead, it'll come back for you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Fuck, I saved them! You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, NowPlayingPodcast.com. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcasts by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. You're dead! You're dead! And you ain't taking me with you! Now Playing's Final Destination series is edited by Samuel, Tim, Brock, and Arnie. Let's go take a shit. Now Playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema. The Final Destination series is the property of New Line Cinema and no infringement is intended. That is some spooky psycho babble. 
The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Shh. You're waiting dead. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. I'll see you soon. That's, that's a good enough summary, right? <laughs> How it's much more summary. do you want? And we're going to get yeah. into the... Also, the girl who played Margot Kidder's role in that movie also is in this movie. She was one of the girls in the tanning bed. You mean the topless one? They're both topless, but the brunette, yes. <laughs> the topless the one. The blonde uh, slut or the brunette slut? Which one? The brunette, the brunette one. The brunette one. With was, or without uh, panties? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> they have the whole discussion. I don't remember. Uh, is the brunette was in <laughs> was in Black Christmas? I recognized her almost instantly. Really, I couldn't recognize anyone in Black Christmas when I was watching Black Christmas. I remembered as we're watching this movie. I was like, "Hey, Mary Elizabeth, went, uh, oh yeah, this is the one we talked about. We mentioned that they were all did Final Destination and they did Black Christmas one afterwards, and that's that's what happened. That's that's how that whole thing went down." We should talk about this now, I guess, about the plot device, or you want to talk about it after the roller coaster? Let's talk about it after the roller coaster. Okay. But I've, I've introduced the most important character, which is the Panasonic DMC FX8. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, my problem with the yearbook photo angle was I thought it was late in the school year, and I thought yearbooks had to go to print like in february i thought that thing was done that's where i was going with the problem with the yearbook photos but i missed all of what you're talking about on yearbook staff i can say our last photos were turned in by spring break but we continue taking photos out the rest of the year for a photo supplement that was mailed to all yearbook subscribers with adhesive tape to be put in the back cover most schools don't do that dude now yearbooking thank you <laughs> yeah. yes now <laughs> mean the arrival of the roller coaster and of course ramona <laughs> <laughs> wendy <laughs> i kind of came into this looking for a black not black what's what i'm looking for african-american <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, a black comedy or dark yeah, comedy. I was trying to or, think of something other than that. <laughs> I kind of came into this looking for a black comedy. The goth people tried really hard to do the same thing, and it just didn't play as well. These oh, they two were goth? Did. Is that what they were doing? I was wondering what yeah. they were. They, they on, were not good goths. What you... They were not Marilyn Manson. They were poor, poor goths. They were suburbanite goths. No, no, no argument here, Arnie. But they're playing <laughs> the goths people here. You know, they're not. They're not going to be the. Um, <laughs> I don't think they were going for the Marilyn Manson goth here. I think they were going. I, I just. For the... I didn't realize they were goth. You know, I. I just didn't get that off them. I just thought they were more punk. No, they're goth. <laughs> Trust me. No, going back to Ashley and Ashlyn, though, let's talk about... Let's spend some more time in the... (laughs) 
This is like the podcast. Uh, the podcast. Listen to me. It's like the <laughs> podcast we do every single week for the show. <laughs> there is some sort of urban legend or something about that, about people dying in tanning beds. I don't have all the details on it, but when I mentioned it to my wife after I watched it, uh, she had said, oh, yeah, that's supposed to be, like, based in truth or something. I'm like, really? But that's as far as I got with her on that. Do you guys ever heard this one before? See, this is why we do pre-podcast research. Well, Tanning, bed, death, urban well, legend. I, I'm sure, Ar- Arnie, you don't have an uncle or a cousin that owns a tanning bed salon? <laughs> what? Oh, last night we, when we talked about the hanging, he's like, well, my uncle, who's a... <laughs> my fa- that was my, my father-in-law. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> See? That's right. And you had the connection with Martin Cove and Karate Kid, so... Yes. Maybe it's my turn to have a connection. Yeah, my, my father, who had a carnival. Um, All right, the... the- been a while since we've seen a drive through scene in our movies was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4 I think was the last one I remember watching <laughs> the drive through pizza place. Place. <laughs> um, anyway uh, I it's amazing I didn't really the correlations care. we make it is, <laughs> we do a lot of recording folks. I haven't seen a good drive through scene in a while Get, tell me a movie with a good drive through scene <laughs> Texas American Chainsaw American Beauty War. pops to mind but oh, yeah. uh, the last one I remember watching is uh, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw 4 so uh Yeah, she just smashed her knee into the wall, and I just heard this blood-curling scream go out. Oh, so, gosh. Yeah. yeah. she okay? Yeah, she's all right. Just banged her knee up pretty bad. Oh. She'll live, though. Unless she <laughs> happened <laughs> to knock a pipe loose in the wall that is slowly yes. leaking gas. <laughs> yes. Don't smoke in the house. <laughs> well, then you have one of those old metal ringer bell phones, and so when the phone rings, it's going to cause a spark. <laughs> oh, it's going to be right. a, a mouse- sales call. The mouse is chewing the phone wire, and he gets electrocuted, and his steaming corpse... Okay, anyway. So, uh, where were we? I was saying about that. I, I loved how your, your, um, your, in your conclusions, it was so poetic the way you said things. I'm like, you, they should have hired you for Final Destination 3. They could have used a little umph to their dialogue. Anyway. At least I speak so, like a real person. <laughs> What series is that, Arnie? Fright Night! <laughs> I don't think I can do that a third time. It's hurting my jaw. <laughs> I all of a sudden, I want to hear the song Wipeout. I don't know about you two.